Welcome to Job Tales, the show where we find out about different professions from the people who know. Each week I speak to a new guest with a very interesting job. I'm Laura Leoncini and today my guest is Marisa Copley, costume and fashion designer. Now, if you're interested in fashion, you can be many things, you know, a costume designer, a dressmaker, a wardrobe stylist and much more. Marisa's job tale is interesting in that because she has touched on several jobs in the world of costume and she will be able to give you some good hints. Marisa, let's talk about <laughs> costume. I'm so happy to have you on board. It was a little bit of, uh, of technical hiccups, but that happens when podcasting, right? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I'm so happy to be here as well. Thanks so much. I yeah, love pleasure. your podcast. I think it's fantastic. Oh, I wish you. we'd had it when I started. When I said, <laughs> that's, what I, that's what I, I tell myself too. Like, oh man, I wish I had known about all these jobs. And so right. about your job, it's, it's very I- intriguing because also not many people know about, you know, the film industry or design and fashion. So, and you have mm. touched on all of these aspects. So yeah. tell me how you started with costume. Okay. Well, I actually, my background is in fashion. Yeah, and, okay. Um, yeah, I well, actually, I think how I started in costume was probably when I was about five years old. I used to see how many different ways I could wrap my towel at bath time. That was <laughs> the beginning of what is actually a thing called draping that you do with fabric. So I'm a, I'm a specialist draper and um, draper. a self-taught draper. It seems to be in my genes. Uh, <laughs> and uh, so that is partly how I got into it. And I began in fashion, but I always knew that I didn't only want to do fashion. And then I went into costume design, mostly for different various forms of dance, which is always uh-huh. super interesting to me. And I, as a dancer as well, <laughs> makes sense. So yeah, it's a lot of juggling of different things. I got my first job in fashion <laughs> by going to a boutique that I really loved that stocked independent designers and asking for a meeting with the owner. <laughs> Mm-hmm. I had no idea really what I was doing and she took a chance <laughs> on me which was very lovely of her I had a little bit to show for my portfolio I had done um, some short summer courses um, at the London College of Fashion in the UK and I had that so I had a few little pictures and I had like two outfits that I'd made one of them was a like a trick dance dress for a friend of mine, which I'd agreed to do before I even actually knew how to sew. <laughs> so I had these little things, but I guess she saw the enthusiasm and I, I owe her a lot for that. She was wonderful and um, helped me actually a little bit with how to do costings and things like that, which I didn't know about. And there it was. And I started my label. I sewed my first collection and vowed I would never sew the whole thing again. <laughs> <laughs> and that's, that's, yeah, that's how I started. Fantastic. So you started basically, yeah, by applying, I mean, uh, knocking at doors. Yes. And you didn't yeah. know how to sew first, right? You learned after. Yeah, when I first wanted to design, I didn't grow up sewing or anything. My mom actually sews well, but I never learned learned that. So that was <laughs> something that came a little bit later. And I'm still I'm still not a good seamstress, but I understand enough to be able to hire people who are amazing <laughs> and oh, who do that okay. their whole life. So I think you have to have a basic understanding of the different technical elements, but you do not have to be a sewing master to be a costume designer. 
Mm -hmm. So when you are a costume designer, you basically design, you know, invent and design the actual costume and then someone else sews it and then finalizes it, right? Or, or cuts it even because there's, there's cutters. I remember from the film industry, there's a cutter, there's a design. Yeah. Can you tell me more? Yeah, absolutely. So depending on how you do the process, uh, you can have people specialize in separate things. So you can have a pattern maker that does these flat patterns, the 2D patterns that you can use. And then you have a cutter who specializes in literally just cutting those out, laying them up, because there's obviously many ways you could lay up wrong mm -hmm. <laughs> if you have all these different pattern pieces so you're trying to conserve your fabric and its own skill and then you have the person sewing it and then you also have fittings for your custom designs you're always fitting it onto an actual person mm -hmm. so I can do all of those things I do <laughs> I do the pattern making and cutting better than I sew but I do prefer other people to do it for me uh, the part that I still do to this day is the fittings and the draping so when you drape that is where you don't need a flat pattern and uh, you're actually working on a mannequin or on an actual person using the fabric how I feel it's like playing with the fabric letting the fabric partly guide the design so I really mm -hmm. love that and you're sort of designing in four dimensions rather than two dimensions right or however, however yeah. many dimensions they really are in real life who knows what is draping you know compared to you know when fitting and draping can you explain a bit more so draping, actually quite a lot of people don't even know what it is who are designers. Draping okay. <laughs> is, is instead of, say, drawing a sketch and then turning that into your flat pattern, like working out, you know, how is the sleeve going to go or whatever in two dimensions on a flat piece of paper or cardboard, you right. are working out how your design is going to be literally by pinning things onto a mannequin or onto a person. So you're taking this piece of fabric and you're pinning it onto a mannequin and you're cutting it as you go. So you're actually mm -hmm. making, here's the shape of your sleeve, you're pinning it on. So you're working in, like I say, you're working in the four dimensions rather than trying to plot your design onto a flat pattern. Onto a I don't know if that makes sense. So paper. you, so a lot of mm -hmm. times draping, I mean, the oldest form of draping that most people know of would be your Grecian dresses you know there's and and there's kind of over the one shoulder you know like there's Julius Caesar with his mm. <laughs> fabric yes. going over the one shoulder that's sort of the earliest and example of draping that I think people could possibly know right and then the fitting is that when when there's already a shape being given right. and, and so on so, being done so it's already sewn it's partially sewn and then you're putting it on to the person to make sure that it fits them perfectly so you've worked from their measurements or maybe if you've a draper you've even draped on them but there'll still be some sewing so now you know maybe you have where the zip is going to go but you just want to make sure you have things like darts which are bits which you take in to shape something like say underneath someone's bust or something like this so you can, you're basically taking in little bits here and there to make it fit that person perfectly. So when you do a fitting, you're using pins mm. and then you'll have it sewn up based on the pins, how it's pinned. Okay. Mm. So uh, do I understand correctly? Do, do you need to be a good good at drawing in order to be a designer? Because I mean, the first idea I imagine is right. on, you know, you put like a sketch down something on paper. 
Yes, I would say overall you do. I mean, there may be designers who who can't draw and who get other people to draw for them, but it certainly would be a very good skill to have. You don't have to do like mm. stunning illustrations. You just have to be able right. to draw your idea clearly. So as long as you can do what we call a technical drawing, that would help you. So that is like what the thing would look like if it was just lying flat down on the ground. Okay. So you don't actually have to be able to draw it on a person in theory, although I think that when you're working with clients and everything, you you should be able to do that because otherwise how do you communicate your idea? So mm. being able to draw is a huge one and also being able to communicate your ideas clearly, <laughs> spoken and written, both of those also will help because you invariably oh. end up using all three of those to communicate your idea because not everyone will get it just from one or the other. Well, that's what I've found anyway. Yeah. And do you use a uh, pen and paper or do you use the computer? Like are there apps or, you know, software that really helps with this? So there are lots of ways you can do it. I still love to start with pen and paper. That's still my favorite. Mm. Um, and I love to use paints and all of that. But if I'm in a rush for a client or something like this, sometimes I'm, I'm working on a bunch of different jobs or something like that, then I will use Photoshop to perhaps change colors or fill in colors. So I will do basically a pen drawing in that case. So I have black lines and then I use Photoshop just to very simply fill in different colors and things. That's so I don't have to redraw it every time. For the client okay but sometimes i do redraw it <laughs> and um in photoshop <laughs> you can also take your fabric um a picture of your fabric and you can scale it to what you think is about the right size for the drawing so you're looking at let's say you have a flower print or something you're going to make those flowers about roughly the same size on your drawing as they would be on a person so you can give a very accurate idea of that type of thing to your clients That is where I find Photoshop and yeah. those type of programs are helpful because I mean to draw all of the, you know, to draw a print, especially a really detailed one or to paint it in, that would take you a long time. Do you find it difficult to start a career like being independent in this in this industry? You know, I guess you need to find your customers, you need to be known and, you know, get your, yeah, your work around. Right. I I think I've been very lucky in a lot of ways. Of course, there have been very um, difficult times too, and you don't always have steady, steady work. But I think somehow the enthusiasm just seemed to drive me forward. And then that's how mm -hmm. I got, that's how I've gotten almost all my work. In fact, I still do that to this day. I still do this sort of cold calling thing with boutiques and stuff around the world, okay. my fashion collection. So But I think, I don't think you can fake that. I think that if you are not that type of person who connects with people easily and who that comes naturally to, I wouldn't advise doing that. Uh, okay. I suppose how to start would be to make stuff or draw it if you have the ideas so that you have something to show. So you have some portfolio to show. The visual is going to be your biggest aid on that, right? Because you can mm -hmm. say, I'd love to do this, but how do you show that you actually have the capacity, right? So I think that's important. Or you could yeah. you could make something. You could even go to a costume house and style something. You could put things together and take photos of it. Anything that you can do. But probably the cheapest and the easiest is to draw. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You, you were saying that being a dancer, you started also designing a costume for dancers. Is that how you started, right? Mm. So actually, the first dance costumes that I did, 
I'm not sure if I was actually dancing in the style that I do now or not, but I was asked because they knew that I did fashion. There were two contemporary dancers who were in a big show here and they asked me to come on board and work with them on the project. So those were the first dance costumes. And I was like, wow, because I'm not a contemporary dancer. And it was a lovely challenge for me to see what type of what type of costume they needed for the movement that they were doing. You know, what what mm-hmm. was going to be something that was really comfortable for them to wear that they didn't have to think about while they were dancing and really reflected the piece that they were doing. So that was really fun for me. And I realized, yes, I would actually love to do, I had always thought of costume, just doing costume design more for characters or films and that sort of stuff. And here was an opportunity to do it for dance. So that is partly how I got into it, apart from doing my own dance costumes. And then I realized I love to design for movement. And I think that's the thread that runs through everything because obviously when you wear clothes of any kind or costumes, you are moving around in them to some yes, degree. So true. it's kind of important. It's a little bit, <laughs> it's kind of important. A little bit important. And I, I, it makes me sad to see people very uncomfortable in their clothes. The one sort of stereotype is like the bride who's sitting there like pulling her dress up the whole time and you're just like, oh no. <laughs> so... <laughs> So I want people to feel comfortable and great in whatever I make, whether it's a character that they're playing with the costume or a dancer on stage. I want the clothes to enhance them <laughs> so that it's almost the, the costume is one with the person. For me, that's important. Great. And how did you get into the world of uh, filmmaking? So actually, when I started my fashion business I funded it myself and I was doing all kinds of odd jobs in the film industry because I have my eldest brothers in the film industry so I ended up doing bits and pieces of everything and then I decided so I had to think about it and it was a little tricky like do I want to go into film because obviously you can do all these amazing creative things and I decided not to go into film because You have basically no life outside of that. You have to do this project. You know, you can't do multiple careers if you're going to do that. I wouldn't have been able to dance because you Mm. have no time. You know, you have three to six months in any locations that you're going to do. You're working exclusively on that film. And um, and actually the head of department in on costume design on a film is often not even on the set in the end. So you (laughs) it's a lot of logistics. And um, yeah, so I decided not to do that, but I was still very interested in the film side of things so I actually went into it through advertising because then your jobs are shorter it's not as creative usually so I mostly ended up doing wardrobe styling and then occasionally there's costume design when you know the ad is something a little more interesting okay so it's called a wardrobe styling so both for film and then for advertising Yes, there's wardrobe styling and then there's costume design. So costume design mm. is where you're making everything from scratch. You're creating the design. You're coming up with the concept. And then wardrobe styling is where you are usually just choosing the clothing that the people are going to wear. So in ads, you see mostly just wardrobe styling. And mm. that is you know, your jeans and T-shirt. But a lot of work has gone into which jeans and which T-shirt. 
it's interesting what you said that you know to you know to fund your your main profession you were doing some odd jobs in the film mm -hmm. industry and and mm -hmm. that your you know siblings were in there already because in my experience it, it's very difficult to enter the film industry yeah you need to know someone or you need to start with very odd jobs like you say um, right. which which is also a good message to convey you know to listeners that are feeling very creative and would like to take on this career but um don't have you know don't have a client base or know where to start mm. so to not be afraid of doing something that is maybe completely you know away from what you want to do but maybe right. in the same field and then from there you build your reputation and you start chatting with the art department and with the costume right. department and then you you know go up the ladder that way by you know first pushing right. a few coffees and then <laughs> right no absolutely i mean if you if you really want to do something like that I think if you do your research of whatever is happening in your area whatever companies you know in the so you want to be in costume design find a costume designer that you think is really great that is living near to you and see if you can offer can you yeah can you make their coffees can you volunteer some days of your time for free I think that right. most of them would actually go for that because they're looking for your enthusiasm And yeah. I find most film industry people, they're very, it is a profession where you generally have to put your ego out of the way. So most of them are fantastic. Yeah. They're so, you know, true. And, and they <laughs> do, I think they do respond well to people's genuine enthusiasm and passion. And you would want that on your team. So even if you couldn't hire a new costume assistant, you maybe you could have someone come on for free. And if you bond well with that person or you work well with them and they see the talent, I think that they would i think that that would work with most people mm -hmm. with most people yeah so did you yeah. ever do, end up doing any uh, wardrobe or or design in the in the film i was an assistant wardrobe stylist several times and little bits and pieces here and there but as i say at that point i wasn't wanting to do costume design but i was i did love those jobs because i could go to these big costume houses and see it was like paradise just walking around in there so inspiring you know this, <laughs> like a library of all these outfits and amazing characters so yeah i really enjoyed that what are the other let's say sectors where you could be uh, a costume uh, designer you know you mentioned dance you mentioned films there's uh, advertising are there any other you know aspects that you can think of or you know industries where you could be you know a, a, where a costume designer it could be sort of oh yes yes theater and then theater. of course you've got all different types of dance then you've also got if you think about any kind of specialized performance you could be a costume designer, say, for ice skaters or something like this. So many people oh, do specialize. Yeah. You can have specializing in, you know, salsa clothes or ballet wear or that type of thing. Then, yeah, in theater, you can also specialize in all kinds of things. Like you could specialize in, say, making corsetry from a certain era, and then people would buy your stuff for their films. So you don't necessarily have to work on a film or you don't, yeah, you can, you can find something that you've, are really passionate about and then specialize in that or you can try a bunch of things first or you can do a fusion like I do <laughs> a fusion yeah so you do a, a bunch of it yeah I was gonna ask is specialization a must uh, in order to succeed or, or can you vary I think it depends on your goal I think if you want stability then you would maybe go through a route where you try to be an intern somewhere and sort of work your way through like that or 
be mentored by someone who's really brilliant say you wanted to do this corsetry thing you could try and get a mentor that would teach you and then you specialize in that but I definitely think that the whole industry in general thrives on diversity so it wouldn't be a bad thing to be able to do lots of different types of design and do you think the school helps you know having an education in this sector helps or you can be the self-taught it would be the same or you know there's an advantage because I yeah, when speaking for instance to some other kind of artists or people that work in the film industry they, they, they say you know there's no school that can teach you that right <laughs> that's true in the, in the film industry there's a lot that you have to learn yeah, yeah. being there <laughs> you just <laughs> need to be intense. there it's very intense you just need to be there and you need to be able to do problem solving very very fast and you know in, yeah. <laughs> in film you're counting your time in seconds not in minutes or yeah. hours <laughs> yeah <laughs> so yeah that's definitely I almost think everyone should <laughs> spend one day on set just doing something just to see how fast you can actually function because it's fantastic <laughs> and how, how yeah, you know that's so true <laughs> How you can learn to make really quick, quick decisions. That would be, (laughs) and take your ego away because you can't take anything personally. If you've messed up, that's too bad. You don't have time to be like, why did I do that? (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, (laughs) So definitely studying helps. I find even as a wardrobe stylist, I found that my fashion background helped me a lot. And other things like just being observant of people If you have the opportunity to travel or you have an opportunity to experience different cultures in whatever way, other things like languages, because they teach you a lot about different cultures, those things are all going to help you. History, (laughs) that would also help you. Oh, yeah. No, of course. I suppose just curiosity about everything, but certainly some kind of learning, official learning would definitely be helpful. I studied in London, but I couldn't afford to do (laughs) a full degree there. And so Mm. I did their summer intensive courses, which really turned out to be amazing because it was learning from professionals who normally wouldn't be able to teach. But now because they were doing these one week modules, which you could choose your own sections, you ended up with the most amazing people. So, for example, I learned beadwork. It's called timbre beading, where you bead on a little loom. It's almost like this kind of old paintings that you see with women sitting there with their beading it's like that Mm. and I learned from the woman who was in charge of beading Princess Diana's wedding dress so those kind of tutors really helped me to learn and the pattern making person as well he's so precise he'd been going for so many years and he was just so knowledgeable and all of my tutors were amazing and I think those specializations and those people actually in my case because of what I've done with it and because of the way my career went that almost helped me more than doing a whole degree because a lot of the business stuff you sort of have to figure it out as you go and also if you don't study in the same place where you're going to work then the connections that you make there it's not really going to help you (laughs) so that's another consideration if you're going to study in a different country in terms of fashion or costuming you will have to change everything when you get back home You'll change everything. Mm, you know, it's a, so you've learned now all these different fabric shops and maybe, you know, you've you've met a few people here and there, but now when you go when you go back to wherever you are, you, you're not going to know every, anyone, where, who are the fabric manufacturers, things mm. like that. It's just a practical element mm. to it. But I it, definitely yeah. think it's a good idea to study somewhere else as well. So there are pros and cons to anything, but certainly a little bit of study or mentorship that I suppose that would also work. You could, Mm. there are fantastic dressmakers here who basically they're creating things, but they 
don't design. They generally copy things. So someone will bring them a picture of a dress, but they they are mostly self-taught, the ones that I know, and they are amazing. Um, but they were generally then, I say self-taught, but really they were mentored by someone who would have learned, say, in a bridal boutique or something like this. So it is mm. possible to do that if you had a really great mentor to teach you. But that would that would be like a tutor then, you know. Do you find that you need to have an initial budget in order to then get get the ball rolling and then be able to do your first dresses and then show them around for first clientele? Yes, but I had only made two outfits <laughs> when I got my first job. So I don't think you have to make a lot. Like I say, you could do a lot of drawings as well. And yeah. you could even use things like I used to love having costume parties and never really occurred to me. I could have used the pictures from all the costumes that I did for that. <laughs> for my costume design so there yeah. are ways of getting your first job without spending the money but yeah, in terms of if you yeah if you start your own label though and you usually you would end up doing consignment which is where people don't buy the stuff outright from you you are kind of leaving it in the shop and they are selling whatever they can and then they're giving you back the rest <laughs> of the stuff oh, yeah. so that is not a not a great deal but that is often how um, young designers have to start in fashion and then you do yeah then you do need funds so if you if you had a backer that would help you a lot and otherwise you'd have to do what I did which is like all these odd jobs and I had a great au pairing job with a very arty family and that's how I funded uh -huh. my first collection oh yeah. nice mm -hmm. okay so au pair in, in London <laughs> Where no, in no, I was in Cape Town. I was in South Africa. In Cape Town, South Africa. Yeah, okay, cool. Yeah. And this is I where came back now. home and then I started. Yes, absolutely. Came back home awesome. and started the business. Like I thought it was going to be very different than it was. <laughs> <laughs> and one final advice to the young listeners who want to become uh, designers like you? One thing I haven't mentioned is the ethical side. So I always wanted to have ethical design. And that basically means... Being able to, for me anyway, being able to trace the line, you know, so you're not supporting sweatshops and you can do that by mostly supporting local. So places you can actually see the factories, you can, you know, you have the personal connections. So I would say that that is one of my, that is something I would advise considering what you're doing and the state of the planet kindness and consideration and your environmental impact as a designer those are all really important and even if you only make a small difference that's still really important so think about your fabrics and who you're dealing with and how you're dealing with them that's a very good marisa thank you so much because it's yeah it's so important and the 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 fashion industry specifically has a lot of you know uh, outcomes and and about about this and the, right. the non-ethical no. use of fabrics and uh, sweatshops and the use of miners and, and right and uh, even yeah. how you treat people you know I never used conventional models because I didn't want people to feel they have to look a certain way to wear my clothes mm. so yeah. it's that yeah, those excellent. kind of things that makes a big difference that yeah I believe it does anyway. awesome <laughs> No, that's great. Thank you so much for uh, contributing so much. To, to my podcast and uh, all you. the best of luck to you. Yeah, and to the young designers as well. Go for it, guys. <laughs> <laughs> That was Marisa Copley, costume and fashion designer. You will find more episodes on Spotify, Google Podcast and Apple Podcast, as well as any of your favorite players. 
I'm always looking for new guests, so please send me ideas on jobtalespodcast at gmail.com. Otherwise, see you next week for a new episode of Job Tales. <laughs>